HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila. Handcrafted, expert approved, with over 20 international blind tasting awards. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly. Hi, I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Time for Lunch podcast, and one way that Heritage Radio Network has impacted me is it has given me the opportunity to sit down and talk with hundreds of people from all over the world and different cultures, and it is always eye-opening the things that I learn and get to share on Heritage Radio Network. HRN is home to transformative exchanges about food. We hope our diverse lineup of shows opens your eyes educates, and empowers. Join us during our summer membership drive by donating and becoming a member. Members play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member today. Thank you for your support. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Greg, just you and me again this week. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good, man. I'm. Uh, it's it's hot, but I'm hanging in there. I love I love summer in New York. I would so much rather be sweating than shivering. Same, I love it, man. One hundred percent the same. I I don't understand people who are all about fall and winter. I'm all about short pants and sweating. Let's do this. Yeah, absolutely. Tank. It's tank top season, man. I'm tanking it right now. You can't see it, just, which is unfortunate. One of the unfortunate things about the podcast, but uh, I'm living my truth right now. <laughs> you got a face for radio, buddy. Oh, you know it. Uh, so, and a bod, and a bod for radio. <laughs> oh yeah, I've been working on I've been working on my radio bottles in preparation for the summer months, man. It's ready. It is here. Uh, well, it's also award season, as we know, mm-hmm. and there are some new. Uh, I'm going to use air quotes here. Awards that are out there, <laughs> right? Uh, Do you see this stuff on Red Tip Bar Spoon on the on the old Instagram? Yeah, what are they calling them? The Spiritless Awards? Spiritless Awards, of course, making fun of the Spirited Awards. And um, the the prize, you know, from a Spirited Award is a, is a, is a plate, which I've always, I've never understood. You know, here's an award for your prowess in the world of cocktails, a plate. Um, <laughs> you know, not a shaker, not a mixing glass, not a wine glass, not a goblet, not a wine bucket. I don't know, a plate. Um, uh, but their, their prize, of course, is a, a paper plate. So, <laughs> and some of the awards are pretty incredible. Um you know, they've got the uh, the Stan Award, I think, is one of my favorite ones. Uh, Non-American bar with the most American fanboys, despite never having been there. That's a good one. Uh, a little little strikeout at Giuseppe here, the Giuseppe Gonzalez Award. New bar trend nobody asked for. <laughs> yeah, um, and I was I was looking through that one. And, I mean, you turned me on to these, and these are hilarious. You know, I, I, oh, they're I, great. Any, anybody, we'll put a link in the show notes, but you should definitely check out uh, Red Tip Bar Spoon. It scratches, scratches the same... Uh, hilarious and cynical itch that uh, uh the daily expo does which i also love yeah but, yeah, yeah but i was going through red tip uh bar spoons um giuseppe gonzalez award nominees and one of the uh trends that nobody asked for is the espresso martini and i realized that souther i don't think 
that despite running this podcast for, I, I don't know how long it's been uh, either. I, it feels like it's either been a month or like 20 years. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think that we have ever talked about how the espresso martini crashed into earth like the meteor that killed the dinosaurs and just took over everything sometime, you know, a, a couple months ago. And now it's, it's, it's everywhere. Like, what do you, we haven't discussed this. I don't know what how do to discuss it. it. Uh, yeah. I don't know how to discuss it. And here's the weirder part for me is I kind of had a flashback slash flash forward in that tales of the cocktail in 2019, I flew from new Orleans to New Zealand after tales to do a gig there for four days. Do, do not go to New Zealand only for four days. It took 30, <laughs> it took 30 hours just to get home. <laughs> anyway, I uh, didn't plan that well. Um, but I had to be back because we were opening a new bar, as you know, as you might imagine. Anyway, while I was there, I was patently shocked to see just how many espresso martinis people drank there. And I thought, this is sort of a flashback, right? Because the espresso mar- martini had its heyday here in America some years ago. And I thought, well, maybe they're just kind of behind the curve or whatever um, by, you know, about a decade. Um, and then, you know, get, come back home. Uh, and then move into the pandemic, and suddenly the espresso martini is on fire here in America again. I, I don't, I don't understand it honestly. As someone who doesn't drink coffee, there's that problem for me. Um, so there's that. Even if I did drink coffee, though, the issue for me is, and I saw it when I was in New Zealand. And I've been seeing it now uh, around here. I don't understand. I, I could see saying to myself, you know what, I'm going to have one. But but you know, when you serve someone their fourth or fifth one, you're just thinking you just drank you know five espressos and it's midnight. You know, I don't get or, it. I put, I put it in the same category as the um, pickleback. Again, one seems all right. But when you serve someone their fourth or fifth one, you're just like, dude, you just drank five ounces of pickle brine. I don't get it. Other than in that scenario, it's the pickle brine that concerns you when the number <laughs> reaches five. It's just like, whoa, that's going to set off your pH balance there, buddy. Five shots of whiskey over the course of the night is not going <laughs> to ruin me for tomorrow. But five ounces of pickle if i gave you a glass of five ounces of pickle you would not drink it you simply wouldn't but if i give it to you in little doses throughout the evening you would i don't get it i don't know i guess that's my that's my my two cents on both of those drinks (laughs) which i which i almost almost refuse to refer to as cocktails (laughs) i i would i would not i would not call the uh the, the the pickleback a cocktail i would call it i would call it fun and delicious but i would not call it a cocktail um but i also i mean i I've consistently been fascinated with like memes, like things like this that just kind of catch on out of nowhere. It's just been an an ongoing fascination for me to look at these things. Like why, why this thing, you know, why Rick Astley's never going to give you up, not objectively funnier than any other song. And yet it's achieved this extra level beyond the sum of its parts. And the espresso martini kind of feels like it's done that. And I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, we were all predicting, I think, I think our, our front runner at this particular Kentucky Derby to be like the hot drink of the, the post pandemic era was the spicy margarita, you know, mm-hmm. because we we're like, you know, it's a little bit inventive, but it's something you don't necessarily want to make at your home, but it's comforting, has a little bit of a jolt. And, you know, it's not, it's not so weird that, it's going to scare people off because going I mean, out to bars is still a little bit weird. And I sort of feel I mean, like hell, the espresso. Hell, I resor- yeah. I, re- I resorted to serving those at Amore Amargo during the pandemic, like a bar that is notorious for not using juice or shaking drinks. We're, we were serving the, the spicy margarita because it was in such high demand. Yeah. And, and may I say they were good, but, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I feel like the espresso martini kind of scratches a lot of those, those same itches. It just kind of, it blows my mind. It's a drink that I've always been very, very meh about to see how it is just everywhere. Yeah, you know? I don't, uh, I can't, uh, you know, who am I to decide trends, Greg? That's uh, for a younger man like you. So, <laughs> <laughs> remind me to tell you, I, I, I've said it on this podcast before, but uh, my reaction the first time someone gave me a hard seltzer was, this is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen. No one's ever going to want this. So don't look to me for what yeah. the next hot trend is going to be. No one's going to buy chicken in a bucket, Colonel. <laughs> right uh, I but i don't know it's it's hey you know what it's fun it's comforting it has a little bit of that jolt and and also to your point you know like drinking what five of them at midnight is going to give you a big caffeine rush 
I was in Seattle recently at their roastery, which has a bar. And at 10 o'clock in the morning, I watched a number of, uh, sorry, I was, did I mention this? It was this, it was the big like Starbucks roastery that they have there. Mm. Like the, not the original store, but like the flagship one, which has a bar. And at 10 AM I watched not one, but several flights of espresso martinis go out to people that were there. So you know what? Hey, if it brings you joy, why not? Yeah, I'm not here to to break anybody's joy. I'm just here to question. <laughs> I'm here that, to look at it skeptically and then make one for you. That abuse of the palate. Again, I think one is a fine <laughs> thing. I wouldn't drink five, you know, Irish coffees. Like it's just too much coffee. You know, someone said to me once, uh, you know, you can have one, two, three, maybe even four too many drinks and still have a good time. One too many coffees is a bad time. I don't know. Yeah. Man. That's just how I feel. Anyway, Greg, who's uh, joining us in the virtual studio today? Oh, man. So joining us in the virtual studio, we have – oh, my goodness. This is so embarrassing. I'm blanking on I'm blanking on your last name, but it's Jill. Jill. Hey, Jill. Yeah. How's it going? Our good friend Jill Coxon all the way in good from, old Jill. Can- there we go. from yeah, Kansas City. Uh, Jill joining us. Is this your first time on the show, right? Um, it is. We did a little recording when you were in Kansas City at my place, but I'm not sure that that made it into any any like sort of finished product. So I'm I'm glad to be here. It's great. Thank All you. that stuff got corrupted. Yeah, I remember. It was when I was there for uh, for Pop Fest, right? Yep, correct. Wow, I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, that whole. I recorded so many uh, little mini interviews with tons of people, and it all got kind of corrupted and lost. Oh. It sucks because uh, one of the people in there was Rocky, and uh, I was oh. really bummed that I lost that recording. Um, anywho, well, so happy to have you on the on the show proper, finally, uh, to talk about all the things that you are doing and have done and just uh, just to help what a great person you are in general. Um, so for our listeners' sake, um, talk about just real quickly uh, who you are so they, they give a damn about listening to you talk and, and, and the operations that you're overseeing. Um, well, um, I've been in the industry for about 25 years. I've been in an ownership uh, position for about nine years now. Um, ownership started with the other room in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm very, very proud of that little program. It was to date, I think it's the only James Beard nominated cocktail program in that state. Not that I put a lot of weight in awards programs, but it's something we worked really hard uh, to, to distinguish ourselves from the, from the, the, the city. Um, and I learned a lot in the process of opening that bar that has definitely paved the way for my ownership mentality going forward. I'm no longer part of that program. I cashed out to come do Swordfish Toms in Kansas City. Um, Since Swordfish Toms, we've opened up Drastic Measures in Shawnee, Kansas, Chartreuse Saloon in also in Kansas City, and we are now working on Anna's Place uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, um, also a cocktail lounge. I love it, man. I love that like entrepreneurial spirit and the fact that it looks like you're on your way to building kind of an empire. How old was Swordfish Toms when you opened, which came next, Drastic Measures? Yeah, so we opened Swordfish Toms in 2017. Um, and ironically, it was not intentional, um, Drastic Measures shares the same birthday, June 22nd, um, as Swordfish Toms. We opened on the same day in 2020, oh. actually mid-pandemic. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So 17, 18, 19, 20, you said, so three years later, I love it. Yeah. I love the sort of progression. And then it's getting, it seems like it's getting faster now. Yeah. You know, um, part, part of the problem is I can't say no to things and that's, and I, and I, and that's, <laughs> that's how I got you on the show. We had a late cancellation. <laughs> yeah. We we had late cancellation, called you yesterday. You said yes. And here yes. we are. <laughs> uh, I don't have a, a no button. Um, so uh, one is that I think I've discovered, uh, at least with the cocktail bar, Chartreuse Saloon is the outlier. Um, it is the model I'm still working on tweaking. I, I'm really loving it. We, we do a little bit more here. We do live music, a, a, a bigger bar program, um, beautiful pool tables, steel tip darts. It's more of kind of a in the tradition of a, an old saloon, but um, with a little bit of a modern twist. The cocktail bar uh, uh, footprint that I follow, all of the cocktail bar programs have been exactly the same replicable model. And I'm really excited about it because I think I have an opportunity. I know I have an opportunity to help other people reach their entrepreneurship goals. Um, Jay Sanders, my very good friend and partner at Drastic Measures, was my first experiment with this. And the intention was to get him an, a majority ownership position. He deserves it. He earned it. Um, he's amazing. And about a year in, I transferred him majority ownership. So I am now watching him fly that very steadily and beautifully with his own little unique you know, flair. Um, and my friend Devin Munt will be running the one in Omaha in the same way as a majority owner. So I'm basically providing the business plan, giving them the the structure 
um, connecting them with the financiers, and then I'm retaining a percentage profit uh, share position um, as my as kind of like my my finder's fee. Um, but I'm I'm really proud and happy to have kind of discovered a model that's that's sustainable, replicable, and I can help other people become owners if they're if they're willing to follow the template. And and wait, who are these guys to you? They they were bartenders at your shops or? Um, uh, Jay, uh, Jay, I actually have known, um, Jay's from Kansas city. Devin's actually from Omaha. So I, I started with another person named Luke Edson. Um, we co-founded the, uh, USBG chapter of Lincoln and Omaha together. And, um, that was years ago. I, um, and another story, but, uh, Devin, um, was, was a person I met in that time. He actually uh, did some USBG events with us and we've just been friends through uh, networking and, and the industry. Um, and then Jay, I've known for a few years in Kansas City. I met him when I was about 2014, I think, when I was trying to scope out for Swordfish Toms. I met Jay down in Kansas City. And he's also a, a career bartender, yes, mm-hmm. our manager. And so t- talk to me a little bit about, because I didn't realize this, and you and I have talked plenty offline and been friends for a while. I didn't realize there was sort of a template here. Talk to me about what that template is, because these spaces are all pretty dramatically different from one another. One another. So when you say template, I'm sure you mean more in, on the back of the house side, but like, just talk about it a little bit. It sounds fascinating. Yeah, correct. I mean, you know, this is what, when we open the other room, you know, I, I feel like, I always tell people, I feel like I peeked behind a curtain and saw things I wasn't supposed to see when it comes to an operating model that was so simple um, and, and, and is, is more about removing overhead as opposed to creating, you know, bigger, more, faster, you know, it's like, what if you go the other way and you go more simple, you know, these, these bars have no beer, no wine, no food. They are, you know, they, they operate on two people. In fact, the other room operates on one person four nights a week because we have a sister bar next door. And so you're, you're, no one's ever alone. The other bars, I would always want there to be two people there just for safety in general and for quality of service. But, um, you're exactly right. Southern. You'll, you'll notice if, if you go to, if you go to all of them, they wear a different coat of paint. They have different personalities. There might be different styles of music playing. But when you start looking at the service model, you identify the armature you know, un- uh, you know, underneath the sculpture. And they're all the same. It's, it's a, you know, the bars look a little different, but the, the basic footprint of the bar is the same. You know, the size is the same. Capacity is the same. The, the hours of operation. I mean, just, I mean, the fact that they run on two people and that and everybody is cross trained. So everybody does everything. So one night you might work the floor, the next night you might be behind the bar gives us some interchangeable parts with people being able to switch shifts a little more easily with such a small staff. I mean, that's um, paramount if you've only got two people on at any given time, you absolutely. know, Maury Margo operated with one yep. five nights a week and two on the weekends. And yeah, of course you have to do every job. It's not like you yep. could be like, well, Toilet stocked up. I guess someone else will have to do it. Oh, I'm the only one here. Okay. Right. Me. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah. So I mean, it's 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 a it's definitely. Um, I'm excited about it because there's because it's you know it's uh, such a small you know a glorified lemonade stand if you will. It also reduces the barrier to entry for people who want to be entrepreneurs. You know, you don't have to go out searching for a million dollars in investment startup. You know, we've gotten off the ground very inexpensively. Um, two for under a hundred thousand dollars. Um, yeah. Right. Um, that's incredible. (laughs) uh, you know, um, yeah. So, so, so it just, it just creates a lot of opportunity for people to step into the ownership role that might not have that because you're, you're looking at a lower overhead model. What is it that's driving you to want to help other people into the position that you've gotten yourself into ownership? Um, there's so many things broken in our industry. I mean, I could probably do ten of these podcasts with you about each of those, each of those things. We'll make it. Um, we'll make it into a series. Great. Yeah. Write that down. Um, <laughs> so much. So much is broken. Um, so many people have. You know, like myself. You know, I, I didn't start out with the um, idea this was going to be my permanent career path. I started out bartending through college as a means to an end, and then, like a lot of people, did not make practical choices on what I pursued in college. And after a year of grad school in philosophy. Um, started to do the math, and I was like, "Man, I'm I'm not gonna have I'm not gonna have a career here, and I'm just gonna be in a lot of debt." Um, and and I had started to fall in love with hospitality and the service industry, and I was lucky to be part of that conversion. I think you know we we have our, our industry evolved from being mostly quantity consumption to that kind of second golden age of cocktails, quality consumption driven. And I was right there, you know, and and I, and I realized man, I can stay in this industry and I can make as much money, if not probably more than I would as um, anything academic in what I was pursuing. 
And so that just sort of started kind of paved the way for me. Um, and I just really want to help, I guess, other people, you know, realize there's a model out there that is doable. So many markets, and, and I admit there's markets that are not available to me. I couldn't do what I do even in New York, you know, or Chicago or LA. Liquor license costs alone would exclude me from that process. But secondary and tertiary markets, you know, I'm out here screaming, you know, it's like, no, I'm not going to win the awards because I'm not in a cool city. No, I'm not going to get noticed because I'm, you know, it's, it's fine. If, if, you're, if, you, if you're willing to, if you're willing to shelf the, I want to win awards and be on the covers of all the magazines goal for the sake of being an owner operator that makes a good living for the market that you live in um, and be a trendsetter where you are, um, Secondary and tertiary markets have tons of opportunity, low rent, you know, um, almost negligible liquor license fees. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, I laugh. I saw there, I remember a conversation we had a long time ago where you, you asked me why I was in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I said, ask me my rent. And our rent at the other room was $750 a month. Yeah, I remember oh, you telling me that. What I remember I, you, what, what I remember you telling me was, um, cause I think I asked about that and I asked about, uh, you have, your cash only bar, but you have an ATM in the uh-huh. room and it charges $1 per transaction. Uh-huh. And you told me the ATM fees pay my rent. The, the AT, yeah, correct. At, at the other room, the ATM fees almost paid the rent. <laughs> uh, and that alone is just, uh, <laughs> I, I there's laugh. no way I could do that in New York city. <laughs> the ATM fee would have to be $10,000. <laughs> I, uh, I just, you know, so I, I giggle a little bit. I'm like, you know, what, why are you in Lincoln? I'm like, why, why aren't you, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, I think it takes a different, you know, as you just described in not in not the same words, but it takes a different personality, right? Uh, it's someone who who's in it because they're in it for for service and for the business and for hospitality, but maybe not for fame and glory. However, I think that you you're missing an opportunity, or at least you didn't list it, that exists as well, which is to say, I don't know, I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like it's cheating or anything because it's not. I think uh, I don't think there's any such thing as cheating in, in the world that we live in uh, in the bar world, but like. You can be kind of a smaller fish in a bigger pond and you can look around. You can take vacations because you make you make better money <laughs> and you can go to other cities and just gather things and then bring them home and do them in your smaller market and just blow people's minds. Right. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny when you say there's no cheating there. There's definitely and this, this will kind of probably I don't I don't want to jump ahead. So let me know if I'm jumping ahead. Um a couple of things happen, you know, we, our industry suffers from you know, so many, you know, just a myriad, a range of, of, you know, goals and, and people who are in the business for different reasons. Some people actually have to make money. Some people just, you know, some people have the money to be able to throw $5 million down to build out a spectacle that they don't ever have to make a dime on. Um, and that, that's great. Those are, those are great opportunities for those people, but you know, it, it does a couple of things that I consider to be pervasive to our industry. And one, for the people working in those programs who aspire to eventually have their own place, they are not learning anything that will transfer to their reality. I mean, unless they can somehow come up with that $5 million that they can burn, you know, there's no, there's no real opportunity for them to learn anything because in a weird way, those, those business models are kind of like Disneyland, you know, like there's, they just don't translate into the owner operator model that's sustainable, you know, that's small, it doesn't require that amount of, uh, of, of um, revenue um, investment. Or, or investment capital, right? Just to get exactly. it off the ground. Right? Exactly. And two, it ca- in, in my opinion, you know, um, it, it creates a miscalibration of guest expectations for perception of value. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when people walk into, you know, one of those spectacles, like, I just wish there was a sticker on the door that just said, hey, this place is really amazing. We have a you know, hand-carved marble unicorn tear fountain in the middle of our bar because we don't need to make money. And I just wish that there was some way to communicate that to guests because when prices are about the same at those places as they are at my places and people perceive my places as maybe not being as fancy or not having that, that added value of that spectacle, the reality is it's, well, yeah, because my, my business actually has to pay not only for itself, but it has to pay my, my home bills. It actually has to, like, it's my living, you know, it has to right. my it, college. <laughs> you know, it, is my- a, it is a business. It's not here to break even. It's here to profit. Right. right. And so I, I just kind of wish that there was a way to somehow communicate that, you know, uh, in, in a way that, it's, and I'm, I'm certainly not, I'm not whining about it. Like I, I love some of those beautiful bars. They're, they're gorgeous. Um, but they, but there's just a level of non-reality um, to, you know, on some level that I, I wish 
was somehow able to be communicated. Um, and I don't know what that looks like. So. Well, I would think you, you would want that to be communicated both to the guests, frankly, and to the staff. I think oftentimes there are folks who are working at those places and don't realize that the place either runs at, at a break even or even slightly in the red because there's a money behind it or an ego behind it that can support that sort of thing for lengthy amounts of time. Um, you know, but I think the, the sad truth, though, about those places is the eventuality as they go away, whereas you're, you're whereas you're building a business to stay. Right. Absolutely. Well, that's just it. Is it's like, you know, I want I want to I want to be here in, you know, in five years, 10 years, you know, as long as my lease will, will let me as long as I can renew those those lease options. Um, and, and that's the thing I, 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 that, that goes right into one of my the, the points that I was hoping to talk about is just sustainable business models. You know, I, I laugh because our industry is really obsessed with that word, you know, sustainable, sustainable. And usually people think about, oh, we don't we don't use straws like neat, you know, cool. Is your bar going to be here in two years? You know, I mean, like, let's talk about your right. business model that um, it you to not use straws, you know, for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, Jill, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We're going to come right back and keep talking to you about sustainable business models and sustainable businesses in general, which has definitely been on the forefront of my mind. And we've talked about that on the show in the past about how I, my views on sustainability. So I'd love to talk about those and hear your input as well. So stand by, everybody. We'll be right back with Jill Coxon. She has much to say. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods at a family-owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. 818 is created from fully matured blue agave from the Los Altos and Valles regions of tequila. It is then slow cooked for over 30 hours, extracted using traditional Tejona wheels, distilled twice in copper pot stills, and aged in American and French oak barrels. This process creates the best tasting, highest quality tequila possible. Their tequilas have received over 20 blind tasting awards. They strive for excellence in every sip. 818's Blanco is sweet and smooth with undertones of tropical and citrus fruits. Their Reposado is soft and balanced with notes of caramel and vanilla. Their Añejo is elegant and velvety with crisp herbal notes and a warm vanilla finish. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their tequila and find it near you. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly. Hey, Greg Benson, what are you up to this summer? Oh, man. Well, uh, I'm traveling a little bit, uh, trying to hit the beach some, uh, trying to stay cool in my apartment, which doesn't have central air conditioning, so that's probably the toughest thing I'm up to. But uh, most importantly... Out of all of the stuff that I'm doing this summer, uh, I'm donating to Heritage Radio Network's Summer Membership Drive. Yeah, what's that all about? Uh, Well, Heritage Radio Network, as you know, carries a lot of really amazing uh, food and drink shows like this one. And drink, that's right. And drink. Uh, It is also a nonprofit organization dedicated to bringing really amazing stories out there. And, you know, I've really, I have uh, now two shows with them, and I really like how dedicated they are to making sure that people with stories that are weird and interesting that might not necessarily get a lot of mainstream attention how much they care about getting those out there you know they're here to make sure that every single angle from this industry that we love and uh sometimes get frustrated with uh gets told and it's it's really amazing to watch them work and watch them do their thing incredible aside from the great content that you get to listen to what are the benefits of being a member well, Souther, first of all, one of the benefits of membership is that it is tax deductible, which we all love at the end of the day. Yeah. And also it comes with a lot of great swag. So while you're there at heritageradionetwork.org, click at the heart at the top of the homepage to see what is up. You can also see what some of the great perks and swag you can get as a result of being a member are. So it sounds like there's a no-lose situation here. You get to hang out all summer listening to great content with great stories about food and drink on Heritage Radio Network, and then you get some swag that'll keep you cool while you're fighting the heat. Absolutely. Just make sure you're doing all that from somewhere with air conditioning. Trust me, it's worth it. So go to heritageradionetwork.org today and become a member. Cheers. And we are back. You were listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're talking with Jill Coxon. Remembered your last name this time. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, we're talking a lot about uh, sustainability and what that word means and how it goes beyond just, I don't know, composting your your lime shells or whatever, and sort of a, a general 
mindset of making sure that you build something that can sustain, that can last, not just for the business, but for your employees as well. And we were talking a little bit about these sort of, you know, these big palatial businesses that that are these sort of Disneyland bars that give you this kind of like amazing, fantastical experience, but aren't, you know, that that business model isn't built to be a business that sticks around that lasts and makes money and can eventually be turned over to someone else. And we were, you know, I, there's, there's, as you said, Joe, we could do 10 different shows about this, but you brought up something really interesting about the effect that that has on, on the staff. And I think I've, I've worked in one of those places and I think the experience that I had was that when the bar itself is just this, you know, glittery jewel that people come there to Instagram, it places a lot of emphasis on just the space and not necessarily the craftsmanship or the people that are in it. And I think that that can, not always, but it can have kind of a trickle down effect into, you know, ignoring some of the things that we've been banging on a drum about for for ages you know a living wage healthcare, paid sick leave like things that we really as we've seen in the last two years desperately need in this industry and i'd love to sort of get your take on how we how we crack this nut because we we all want it but it's figuring out how to get there how to be sustainable enough to get it that is that is the real million dollar question sure um yeah um so much there's like I said, there, there's markets that I'm not qualified to talk about. I think there are certain markets that are past the event horizon, if you will, of, you know, development, property value, where you just, you can't, it's possible you just can't create a sustainable hospitality um, model in some of those markets. And, and that's that's a real wake-up call. You know, we talk to our city council and um, ch- chamber of commerce about, you know, there's a there's a price per square foot where you will see local businesses disappear. Because they just don't have the the the, the, circ- the circulatory power of moving money around a, a, a national chain or a national network, um, so you know, and and that's something that I think every every city, every municipality needs to think about. You know, what what message do you want to send to your citizens, to your visitors, about how much you support and help sustain in a healthy environment, an ecosystem for for locally owned businesses? So that's like the top layer. You know what I mean? Um, and then you're right. You know, the people that work in those places, look, I, I just, I don't like to see anyone waste time. Um, if, if it's someone's goal to be a professional career bartender, you know, even a career dishwasher, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. Those are noble positions, but we all know that, um, we all know that, you know, that our industry, we're, we're, we're going to age out of things. I mean, and we're, we're going to physically yeah, age out. I'm, I'm almost there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, <laughs> we're, 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 you know, we're, we're physically going to age out from wear and tear on our bodies. We're, you know, sadly, it's a truth, but, you know, uh, women historically aesthetically age out, which is, you know, shitty, but it's, it's true. You know, it's like eventually you will get replaced with a younger, hipper, cooler version of you. Um, and if you don't have a plan in place to make a forward movement, whether that's into product production, um, you know, brand ambassadorship, um, you know, owning your own place, you know, or, or upper management, um, you know, that you're, 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 you're wasting time if you're working at a place where you can't pick up skills that transfer to your own thing. Um, and that's where you say those, 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 uh, um, Disneyland type, uh, venues. I see a lot of people who say they want to own their own place. And then they work at these, uh, these places that, in a million years cannot teach them a single thing about being an owner operator because there's just no, uh, there's no uh, transfer of, of, of uh, applicable information. You know, I mean, there's just the business plan to own one of those places has to be, Oh, look, you know, we, you need $5 million, go find that. Um, go, and all the fancy equipment that you have and having no, having no limits on anything is just not a real thing for a real owner operator. A real owner operator has to, have a business plan, a pro forma, know exactly how much money you need to spend and exactly how much money you need to raise, what what schedule you can spend that on as, as you're getting off the ground. I mean, it's a very different business model. And I see a lot of people in our industry waste time. And that to me is the saddest part. And that's what I want to help people do is like, stop wasting your time working for people that can't teach you anything about your actual goals. So it starts with being honest with yourself about what your goals are. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, and I'm really still interested in talking to you more about how you are facilitating this for people and what what is your 
I guess, what are your goals? And, and of course, goals change over time. So I'm sure your goal was, of course, to get Swordfish Toms off the ground. And now your goals are maybe changing to help other people get things off the ground. Are you transferring yourself out from behind the bar? Are you still on the bar a couple nights a week? And what is what is the, I don't know, the short to longer future for Jill Coxton look like? Sure. I mean, you know, and I'm, um, I, I fill in as needed, you know, uh, um, ideally my, my ideal role is that I'm not on the schedule, but I do function as someone that can fill in as an extra seat on the bench because that helps with, you know, with scheduling. It's, you know, that it's the old conundrum of like, well, you know, if, if y'all want more flexibility and the ability to ask for time off every time some, you know, every time your hamster has a birthday, you want the day off. Cool. That means I, <laughs> that means I, like, that means I have to hire somebody else you know, to, to be on staff. And that means they need hours. So everybody has to give up a shift. It's like, it's like, you're, it's that balancing flexibility and, and the perk of that. And, and, and again, like there's so many layers of intersectionality here where our industry has historically used perks, quote, I'm using air quotes, perks, such as, you know, Oh, a flexible schedule. Um, you can drink on the job, you know, like, to kind of mask the bullshit perks that aren't there. You know, you know, it, it, it's like, yeah, no health yep. insurance, you know, shitty hours and people treat you like shit. And it's a toxic work environment. Yep. Um, no paid time off, yep, no yep. holidays, no. Yep. And so like as we move the needle toward, it's like, hey, it, it, our industry has kind of been in this passive aggressive relationship with we want to call ourselves professionals. We want to say we have a real job. We also need to start acting like it. We need to start um, We need to start acting like we have you know, an actual professional skill set. And that means showing up to work on time, being sober, being responsible for your shifts, working, working full, you know, working full shifts. Um, so, and, and things like, you know, in exchange for, you know, look, you, you know, I mean, I want to be able to give you health benefits. I want to be able to create a, a work environment for you. It's, you know, that's a, a safe space and a non-toxic work environment, but there's this, there's this reciprocity between owner operators and employees that, that both need to, to, to recover some ground. Um, and I think that historically we've just sort of, spiral down the path of using shitty perks to hide the fact we don't give real perks and we're just kind of recalibrating that whole system is, is part of that. So, yeah. So right now, in fact, um, I, you know, we're, we're training up. um, We just signed one of our managers onto a three year owner to apprenticeship program um, where she takes a salary. I'm teaching her the back of basically the entire template model of our business. And the intention is in three years, you know, if, if she feels comfortable to, to open her own place, I, I can help her find the money. And I trust it, you know, cause, because now I can, I can stamp my seal of approval on her and say, yeah, she knows how to run this. She, she can produce the numbers that we can produce and she can use our business plan and business model as a way to attract um, investors for her, for her own place. Right. She can use your successful track record as a, uh, um, as a, as a showpiece for, yes. for attracting investors for what she wants to do. Absolutely. I think that's brilliant. I think this is, this is, I don't know, there are many ways forward. And I think this is a, a very a good, a good one and a clear cut path that you're making. No, and I, I, I agree. And I love that. I mean, one of the big, big issues, I think, to me, looking at our industry coming out of the pandemic is this fact that we all, we all want to get there, right? We all collectively agree that that is a good place to be. But Jill, as you said, there are some markets like the one that I am currently talking into a laptop from that are in a lot of ways beyond that event horizon where there just isn't that in the budget. And it can feel so hopeless to break that gridlock. And I think that, that, I mean, it seems to me like your model that you have of, you know, building a brand and then using that to, to sort of help other people, you know, trade on that and, and, move up and better themselves and, and take those values and pass them on to other people is, is one step. I mean, is there, is there, are there any other ingredients in this secret sauce that you can share with us? Yeah. I mean, so one of the things we have in Kansas city, you know, is our goal to eventually is our goal to have, you know, after, after a year, um, ideally right away, a full, a full benefits package. Um, you know, but we, right now with swordfish, what we started out, we have concierge physicians are springing back up in all markets. Um, I encourage people to look for them in their markets. We have a physician that immediately when people get hired, we sign them up for his services. It's a, it's a membership program at $60 a month. He's basically a general practitioner. He's a GP. So he can do anything a GP can do. He can deliver a baby. He can handle stitches. He can set a bone as long as it's not a compound pr- fracture. He doesn't take insurance. That $60 a month covers all of your office visits. 
Um, so it, so it's, if it's an emergency, he can get you in same day. If you just know yourself well enough to know, hey, I need my inhaler refilled. Can you call that in? He's like, sure, done. Like you, you don't even have to come in for that. Um, if, you know, it, clearly he's not prescribing, you know, serious um, schedule one drugs, you know, in that manner. But he also works with a network of, of specialists that are also, also self-pay. And little by little, they're starting to cut the insurance companies out. And the way that that cuts down cost is unbelievable. So we yeah, sign that's, everybody. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's ex- exceptional disruption right there. That sounds yeah. great. So, so we, start, um, we start everybody out by paying that membership fee. So immediately when you get hired with us, you have access to a doctor. And that's something that at least, at very least we can do right away that most people don't have access to. Um, they, uh, um, and then after a year, um, we will set you up with a stipend. So the idea of a, a $400 stipend toward a plan of your choice. So on our, on our group plan. So if you pick, you know, the Cadillac plan and it's $600 a month, you're responsible for $200 of that. And I think that that's fair. You know, that's, uh, you know, investing in your health. And that's another thing, just teaching people that investing in their health is actually worth it. You know, I mean, I know that insurance is, you know, and, and, um, it is, has its, its own obvious, um, um, kind of a scam like feel to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, even, even, uh, you know, the famous Ned Flanders from the Simpsons doesn't have insurance because he considers it gambling. Well, I mean, yeah. And, 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 you know, but, but I've also watched in this last year, I've watched more than one friend in a random, like, you know, medical occurrence end up in the ER and within five days have a $50,000 bill, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, so like, you know, I get it. You can, you can complain all you want about the scam and, and you're right. It's like, they're, they're absolutely con artists, you know, but you're, you're gambling. And at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, $200 a month to know that I'm, I'm not ever going to have to pay more than this out of pocket is, is a decent gamble. <laughs> yeah. It's the old, what's the old joke? It's like every, every month when I hand over a check to the insurance company, I'm like, Hey, I bet I'm going to get really sick this month. And they're like, I bet you're not. Yeah. So yeah. So, I mean, so things like that, like, I mean, like really starting to, to be creative with, with perks that you can offer. Um, you know, leading by example, there's nothing that I do or there's nothing that, that I ask the staff to do that I don't do. You know, I, if I'm working a shift, I clean toilets, I sweep floors. Um, building a sense of community within your staff is something really important. You know, how many of the owners of those Disneyland bars have ever cleaned one of their bathrooms? Right. Well, I think you're in a unique place as well. I was as well with Amori Margo. When the staff is that small, it simply has to be that way. Yeah. You know, when you get larger and larger and larger, it's always, there's always, there's always some way for someone to kick something under the rug or expect that someone else will, will take care of it. If there's literally one or two of you on, it's, it's us, it's you and me, we're doing this. <laughs> right. Um, and I think that that gives you a unique position to be in, to encourage people to treat the place as if though they own it. That way, um, when you get to the place where you can facilitate them owning one, they do own it. Absolutely. And, I, and I, I try to give fair warning, you know, there's, there's a couple of people I know right now that I'm just kind of helping with where I can just giving them my two cents about opening their own place. And they're great. I think they're going to be successful, but, but they work at one of those places right now. And I've just been warning them. I said, just make sure that you don't get used to the pay grade for your job description there. And if you do enjoy that, maybe you should stay there because when you step into ownership, it's a lot. I mean, it just looks a lot different. It's not nearly as glamorous. Your drink. I mean, I, I think about cocktail recipes about 0.3% of the time. Like I just, it's not what I get to think about anymore. Um, and you know, uh, um, it, it's, it's the day it's every day. It's, it's putting out fires. It's professional whack-a-mole. It's, Oh, oh the door handle broke this morning. Last night, fun fact, you know, last night I, I accidentally cl- cleared one of our ATMs memory by doing a hard reset. So, oh no! <laughs> so this morning, guess what I got to get up and do at like eight o'clock? I got to uh, come into the bar and call the. T- Thank goodness for nerds, you know. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like, right. you know, like they're amazing. Um, they know they know how all the magic works. I don't I don't know. Um, so I, I got to call in at eight o'clock this morning and have them re- reprogram my ATM from remote, and that was amazing. But it's like you know, every day it's something, and it's and it's not the it's not the coming up with the menu it's not the picking out cool glassware like it's not the fun parts that, that make it work um and i think that needs a little more visibility i'd love to see i'd love to see awards for the best dishwasher and the best concierge and the best you know i, I mean like the, the, you know the, the best well, custodian <laughs> well even yeah of course those positions but even the bars themselves you know we need to maybe have an award that's like i don't know 
best margin, best profitability, best, you know, sustainability, like all those kind of things and sustainable in those ways that we were talking about off air, which is more, you know, less about the straws and more about, are we a business that can sustain itself? Are we doing the, are we, you know, operating under best practices so that this business will outlast our lives? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm proud that the majority of our bartenders own their own homes. And that's something that we, you know, we, 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 we claim, you know, so we pay them a livable wage and I work hard to create a business model where they can actually make great money. Like the, the model controls that, you know, when, when you just have a restaurant of 500 people and, and you view servers as, as, you know, just cogs that you can just replace and you don't give a shit about how much money they can make on a Tuesday, you know, you're right. It's like, to me, hospitality tethers us to caring about our employees and making sure that we create business models that can return an income to them that they can buy a house and, and, and live a life, you know, and, and do the things that people should be able to do when they work hard, you know, full time. Right. Um, yeah. Right. At least some chance uh, at the American dream, which I think is a little bit out of reach in bigger markets. You know, I, I don't own a home. None of my team owns a home. I can't even imagine what that must uh, what feel like and and do for their own personal morale and, and what, what that makes them like on you know, on the hard day that they have to come to work where, where things aren't going their way, you know, they probably have a little bit of a softer life than, than maybe we do here in a, in a harder market. Absolutely. And I'm definitely reverent of that. Yeah, I've only been to New York City once. And if I brought anything home with me, it was absolute respect. This other, yeah, I, was, I saw you on that trip and just listening to people's stories and watching how hard people work just to get to work. I mm-hmm. mean, just to struggle. You know, I mean, I literally, I lived, I live one block from the saloon. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty. That's pretty nice. It's a, it a, three, a three minute, a three minute commute. Yeah, it's forty five seconds. I actually drive. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the way to Swordfish, and Sword and Swordfish is like ten blocks away. I can make it to both places in like four minutes. <laughs> nice. uh, that's incredible. Um, well, you know, before we start to wrap up the show here, uh, from your notes, you sent, uh, something you might want to talk about hospitality versus service. And I'm, I was intrigued by that just being in there with no explanation. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you mean when you say hospitality versus service? Absolutely. Um, so I've been been working on a book forever. This will be part of this some chapter of that book. Um, I'm really obsessed with the etymology, the history of the etymology of the words hospitality versus service. And, Service, you know, clearly comes from the same root words as, you know, servile, servitude, servant. Um, and, and there's a bit of a negative connotation. And I believe that that is part of where the the birthplace of the guest, the guest is always right. The customer is always right. Because I'm here to be your servant. I'm here to make sure everybody's happy. And we all know that that's bullshit. We all know that, you know, the, the, the guest is, is often rarely right, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's like, you know, and, and what I feel happens when you switch over to hospitality, when you look at the root words, you know, you know, hospice, hospital, the, the actual root of hospitality being an ancient term that is about treating strangers as friends in your home, um, you start to gain a more control over your, your environment. You know, it's welcome to my home, but note that it's my home and you will. And, and, and I do require that you respect it. Just if I had friends, just as if I had friends over to my house to have a party, if one of my friends starts becoming, you know, out of line and disrespectful to my other guests, I'm going to ask them to leave. Right. You know, if, you know, it, 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 you know, I'm, I don't, if, 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 if I require that people take off their shoes when they come across my, you know, my, my, my doormat, you know, and they refuse to do that, you know, that, that tells me something about them disrespecting my home. We're trained to respect people's homes. And yet we don't look at hospitality venues as someone's home. And I think even though we refer to it as the house, I've always, I've always had this same argument in my mind, you know, no one would ever come to my house and see the spread of Thanksgiving meal laid out, Turkey dressing, stuffing, all the things we know work because we've been doing it for a hundred years and say, that all looks great. But would you mind just reaching in the fridge and making me something else? Right. Exactly. Meanwhile, meanwhile, they come to the bar and they look at the menu that we've tinkered with and worked on and made it so that it's delicious this time, like next time, last time. And they say, yeah, this all looks great. But can you just turn around and grab some bottles and make me something? Yeah. I mean, like exactly. A hundred percent. And I feel like we as an industry have to take a little bit of, or a lot of that on the chin. We've created the monsters in our guests. Yep. yep, yep. So, so part of uh, re- you know, redirecting our industry, we have to take some responsibility in the monsters that we created. And I think there's a chance to open a narrative right now, if more, if more than ever, coming out of COVID, coming out of you know, going into a recession, creating open, honest narratives with your guests about exactly that. Like, look, this is this is my home. These are these are my people. This is my family. You know, I mean, yeah, and and. 
I, you know, I, I have a certain expectation for my guests about how they're going to treat me, about how they're going to treat my staff, about how they're going to treat my, my premises and my, and my equipment, my property in, in the same way that I would have that requirement if I had a house party and I asked friends over to my house. Um, and I, so I think, I think referring to hospitality um, gives us a little more power to take more ownership over our spaces and to start taking back this idea that, you know, the, the, the customer is not always right. And um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where that, that's, that, that conversation is rooted like in, in that concept. I love it. How serious are you with this book idea? Have you begun? Have you got a, an editor? I can hook you up with mine. If you don't, let's get this book out. I, I would, in fact, I think, I, I, I think Southern and I maybe had a side conversation with that. I would love that. I, uh, um, yeah, I, I've, I've been working on it for way too long and I feel like it's never going to be done. Um, and I would, I would love to talk about that with you. I mean, my editor was just a taskmaster. He just gave me an assignment a week, and that's how we got it done. Like, it just gets done. That's that's it's, that's what I need. I need a taskmaster. It's, yeah, it's one foot in front of the other. You know, you just got to keep marching. And also, it's, you know, you're doing all these other things. I was as well at the same time. And, you know, you you maybe can't zoom out enough to figure out where to plug it in. So you got to have someone to just be over your shoulder and just be like, here, do this now. Here, now do this. Here, I need 250 words on gin. Here, I need 255 words on uh, you know, sustainability versus service versus hospitality, like whatever. And he'll just, ta- he'll just task you, uh, your, your editor. And, and I can definitely put you in contact with mine and maybe he can put you in contact with somebody closer to you to get you, get this thing done. I would love really, that. Cause, cause it's always fascinating talking to you. I always feel like I walk away feeling kind of refreshed and that I've learned something and a little bit more energized. Um, and I can only imagine, uh, what, what great good it would do to get a book uh, from you out and into a bunch of people's hands. And I feel, thank you. I think that is an incredible compliment, especially from you, because I feel the same. There's, when I meet people who I think hospitality really resonates with in a, in a very natural way, I mean, I can, there's about five people that are kind of at the top of my list, and Souther, you are in that group of people. Well, thank you. Um, and it, it's, it's a natural inclination and orientation, and I don't, it, I don't think it's teachable. I don't think it's trainable, um, and, and you have it, and, and I, I hope that you're proud of that because you, you uh, it, it, it shows. And well. Thanks so much, Jill. I'll tell you what I'm proud of. I'm proud to know you, proud to be uh, uh, friends with you, and super excited that you're finally on the show today. We are at the end, though, um, and I know you've got a lot of social media that people can catch up with you on. Um, uh, Jill Coxon is your Instagram just for yourself, but you've got swordfishtoms.kc, drasticmeasures.kc, Chartreuse Saloon, and the soon-to-be-open Anna's Place Omaha, and we'll make sure that those are all in the show notes so people can uh, follow up with uh, the things that you're doing out there. Um, and man, can't thank you enough for taking time out and being on the show with us today on such short notice, especially. So thanks so much for being here, Jill. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're definitely going to need to get you back on because I can tell you're bursting at the seams with more to say, and I'm uh, ready, ready, ready to hear it. So let's do it. All right. Well, thanks everybody for hanging in uh, for this week's episode of the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Go check out uh, heritageradionetwork.org and look for the donate button so you can donate to keep shows like this one on the air. And uh, until next time, everybody, cheers. 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 So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.